Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to another Productive Nation podcast. I am super excited about today's episode. We have for you an inspirational guest. She is uh, Sahara Sumaya, CEO of Manifesting Muslim Coaching. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome you, Zahra, to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Shubhanala. I feel incredibly privileged to have this opportunity to chat with you today. Reach out to our wide Muslim global audience, inshallah. Inshallah. You are from Sydney, Australia. I am indeed from Sydney, Australia. So um, I'm a convert. Um, my background is Italian-Irish, that's, that's Italian, mums, people are Irish, um, s- several generations, so yeah, three or four generations in Australia is, is me and my, my siblings. And uh, alhamdulillah, I come from a multi-faith family, so um, I grew up knowing about other people's faiths and having um, an, a family environment that was very uh, welcoming um, to uh, and celebrating other people's faiths uh, and ways of doing things. So, uh, alhamdulillah, I had an opportunity to leave the Christianity that I was born into and travel down a, a multiple spiritual paths into Buddhism and then, uh, alhamdulillah, into Islam in 2011. So that's me living, living a convert life in Sydney. Alhamdulillah. I, I couldn't tell that you're a convert because... Um the longer the person has been Muslim, the harder you can tell he is a convert, mm. which is a blessing, I guess. So what is interesting is that you are a trained counsellor with three degrees of psychology. Wow. Yes. In the end, I, however, I did my master's in community development. So I didn't register as a psychologist uh, way back then um, and took a, took a diversionary route into the humanitarian community development field. But I have done a circle back into working with uh, women in, uh, on a one-to-one or group basis and looking at how we can improve the way we feel in our lives by looking at the way we think, uh, inshallah. So, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Mashallah. Take us back in time and tell us the backstory of the Manifesting Muslim. How did you get started with that? Yeah, uh, so uh, I left Australia in 2014 and I went um, to Pakistan. Uh, so by, that's, by 2014, I was three, three years a Muslim, yeah. And I went to Pakistan, I got married in Pakistan. Um, I went there also to do some um, not-for-profit you know, humanitarian work. Um, and my time in Pakistan was very tough, unfortunately. Um, so a new Muslim, rather naive of how life can be in an, in, in another country and how other people do things. Um, mm. We come in as converts into Islam. A lot of a lot of converts are women. A lot of converts women, you know, yeah. in their thirties and forties, and they're yeah. they're educated um, and they have a certain way. Uh, they they choose Islam, funnily enough, because Islam yeah. promises. Uh, a very egalitarian way of living and, and uh, promises the treatment of women to be dignified mm. uh, and protected. 
uh, particularly in marriage. Uh, so we go into into uh, that kind of uh, into marriage and into uh, the hope and the promise of it, uh, and then sadly, unfortunately, a lot of us are finding that it is not the case. It's not the lived experience that often the cultural interpretations of Islam do not match up yeah. with the truth of Islam, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I was in Pakistan and I was married. It was not a good marriage. And my experience there was uh, very difficult. And because of that uh, experience, when I, I, I left Pakistan, I am, aside from having uh, struggles in the marriage, I was also getting very sick while I was there. Um, and it was that illness that enabled me to escape, basically, uh, in a nutshell. So I, I left and I returned back to Australia at the end of 2016 and proceeded, alhamdulillah, having an ease in being able to uh, get cooler, remove myself from the marriage. And because of the discordance because of the shock to the system between what I believe would be the experience and what was the experience, I started reaching out and looking into, into other women and what they were doing, alhamdulillah, for Facebook. Mm. Um, we, we complain about it in many, way, in many ways. It can be troublesome, but in other ways it's wonderful because it does enable people from around the world to connect uh, and share their stories. And so... Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, Facebook for me has been the starting off point for my business mm. uh, and it's still a very strong centre of what I do. And so I started reaching out and I started realising that there were a lot of women, who, um, a lot of converts, who were having um, the experience that I had. And um, unlike myself, uh, alhamdulillah, I, my experience enabled me to hold on to my faith and in fact strengthen the faith. I was able to see, well, look, that what was going on wasn't what Islam was saying uh, was meant to happen. Uh, and I was able to get closer to Islam and get stronger in my faith because of what, was, what, what I experienced. But unfortunately, a lot of convert sisters who don't have maybe the same um, support around them in their non-Muslim or Muslim communities, they leave Islam. Mm. They, come out, they come out of a toxic marriage. Alhamdulillah, they, they are at least alive. But they leave the dean. Seeing that happen was the reason why I started my business because I wanted to help support other sisters who were going through what I went through, but I wanted them to stay in their dean. Mm. What did your journey taught you? What were the lessons you learned? That's your story is inspirational mm. and everything happens for a reason. And Absolutely. your life experience now you are using them to empower other women. So, what is the biggest lesson yes. you have learned? Well, I think the biggest lesson I learned from uh, from that experience was that I can I can see that there were a lot of red flags. Um, my my connection with my ex husband was over a number of years, long distance, but I did go there, and then I went there. We got engaged, and I came back, and then I went there again to get married. But I can see in that four-year lead up to getting married that um, there were enough there were red red flags mm. now being a, a new Muslim and and, and uh, what happened uh, at some point I was, uh, was uh, told a hadith which I, I don't actually believe is now a hadith <laughs> actually in truth but it went along the lines of you've got to give people 72 excuses 
<laughs> 72 excuses. 72 excuses, yes. Okay, yeah. and, and, and so armed with that bit of information, um, would, would uh, use that to, yes, indeed, give as many possible excuses for behaviour um, that was at best inconsistent. <laughs> this is actually not what Alasapana Watala wants from us. Mm. What he tells us very clearly is to not be oppressive and not to oppress ourselves and not allow others to oppress us. Dishonesty is a form of oppression. So that alone is enough of a red flag to go, you know, our prophet was so honest. He was the most honest of all honest people. This is how we are meant to conduct ourselves. And so as you get further in your knowledge of uh, how the prophet lived, and as you get further in your knowledge of what the, uh, the Quran is telling us by listening to lectures, and that of Quran uh, from multiple sources, you, you get to get a very clear picture that when you are flexible with the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's when you start getting into trouble. Mm. The beauty of Islam, again, the reason we come to Islam as educated white women, <laughs> we come into it because the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tend to be focused on men having to behave properly towards women. Hmm. Islam came at the time when there was um, the pre-Islamic Arab culture that was oppressive, it was harsh, patriarchal, and the Prophet came as a completely different man to what was around him at the time. And so Islam actually came to show men how to control their nafs so that they dignify and respect and protect women rather than killing babies and hmm. mistreating women that was going on at the time. This is what Islam is here for. It's actually the ultimate feminist document you could possibly ever have. And so when we look at the commands, they, uh, as we as women, we see that the commands are actually aimed at um, protecting our dignity, protecting our honour, and protecting us in a material sense as well. And so I tell all sisters now, don't be flexible. Don't allow others to be flexible with the commands of Allah because it's actually going to disadvantage you. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing is that we often say like we have everything in Islam. We have everything on the Quran. Allah told us everything, especially for men, how to behave with the women. But there's mm -hmm. a different story. Are we implementing those? Are we implementing those what Allah has commanded us to do? So I want to know like... Uh, after coaching so many different amazing Muslim women, what is the most surprising, most surprising experience you had? Yeah, well, everything surprises me, I suppose. But I, I guess the thing that, um, that has surprised me the most is the resilience. The resilience of, of all people, men and women, but I mean, I don't work with men, so I can't say that from personal experience. But certainly, I've, I've, I've had the honour of working with so many women who have come from incredibly difficult circumstances and that the feature of the, the, the strength of our spirit that Alhamdulillah um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, that I, I, it, it never surprises me, uh, well, it, it never stops surprising me, I should say, at, and amazes me that just when you, when you think that someone couldn't get up from the ground, they, they do. And they summon within them this, this strength. And then from that, 
they move forward and create something beautiful. And it is a, it's an amazing thing to see. And this is what keeps me doing what I do. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. What do you love most about your work? Ah, well, I love talking to people. <laughs> I, love, yeah. I love stories. <laughs> I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. It is this wonderful balance between seeing how unique we all are, but also within it, we have such a, we have a common humanity. Yeah. So though we may have a different lens from the different cultures that we come from and the different experiences we've had, we're united by our humanity. And so it's a beautiful experience to, to swing between the amazement at the difference and then the familiarity at the same time. Yeah, I also love hearing different stories and I, I believe that we can learn from one another. You know, we Absolutely. all have our unique stories and all it takes is just us to sit down and share those stories with one another. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's unfortunate that we have a media that focuses primarily on the fear and the violence uh, and, and the uh, dishonesty and things like that, corruption and stuff like that, because the truth of the matter is there are more stories out there of amazement and, and love and kindness and compassion than the other, but they're not, you have to dig for it a little bit more. Yeah. So I do suggest that people actually tailor their Facebook feeds and other uh, digital news feeds and their, that for, for the good stuff, because... Mm it does affect you if all you're seeing is the, the media, uh, the, the, the mainstream lens that is meant to make you fearful. Mm -hmm. you know? I want to know, what is the biggest mm -hmm. misconception people have about coaching? Do they, do they trust the coaching as a vehicle to transformation? How do you see it? I think that uh, in, the, in, the, in the Muslim community, it's a new mental health and psychology and counseling and coaching and all these modalities, uh, they're, they're still new. So we're at the stage within um, the Muslim community of still kind of needing to educate what it is. Um, I think the biggest misconception that people have, maybe particularly, is they get confused between what coaching is and what counseling is, because mm -hmm. I worked in both. Counseling, in counselling, um, the focus tends to be on uh, the past, the past experience, and looking at the looking quite deeply at the story of that past. Whereas in coaching, we're not worried about the past except for what you're bringing into it in the present. And so the coaching is far more goal oriented and specific, and it's in the now. And particularly the kind of coaching I do, which is um, based on the inside out paradigm, and that's brought to us by um, philosopher Sydney Banks in the um, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's even more specific. We, within that paradigm, we are basically not examining the content of the thought, it's just the awareness that our feelings are coming from our thoughts. They don't come from anywhere else. They don't come from outside. They don't come from the experience of another person. They're coming from the, the story we're telling it. But in the coaching, I don't get caught up in the content of the story. So a lot of counselling and a lot of, a lot of psychology, uh, psychological therapies get very caught up in the content. Hmm. And you can end up sort of spending years and years and years just going around talking the story. Yeah. And 
that doesn't actually help anything. Mm. It just keeps feeding that story. So um, I think the biggest misconception I still come across is um, that people uh, might be confusing it with counselling, mm. which is not. Okay. Tell us more about the six-week program that's coming up. You have a six-week program, Manifesting Muslim 40+. Plus. What is it yeah. about? <laughs> yes, well, um, early in, when I early started Manifesting Muslim, it was um, particularly looking at the convert experience. Uh, and then I realised that um, a lot of born Muslim women who mindfully start practising uh, Islam within their cultural context suddenly find them that they, they have very similar experience to converts as well uh, in that they have to struggle against their cultural uh, norms in order to practice Islam in a similar way that converts have to. So for me, I broadened my coaching in, into what I call new Muslims. So it encompassed everybody. I'm still doing that work, which is great, alhamdulillah. Uh, but in the last year, I took the step towards looking at what life is like for the mature Muslim, the Muslim of 40 plus, which again, uh, going from personal experience, mm. seeing what, what a lot of older Muslims or mature Muslims are experiencing. Um, some of them are married, some are divorced, some uh, never got married. And we are all looking at the second half of our lives and encountering any of the uh, messages both coming from non-Muslim society and Muslim society that maybe try and define us as having slightly less value because we're no longer in our 20s. Mm -hmm. um, so this came about to counter that. And the best way to counter a message that's coming from the outside to actually counter the internal message that we have. And so my program, for Fab 40 Plus Muslims, uh, is a six-week mindset shift. And the main focus is five areas. It's to do with self-love. It's to do with taking ownership of um, the decisions we've made, the good and the bad. It's closing the door on past hurts. It's taking forgiveness of ourselves and of those that have hurt us, but particularly of ourselves and the, and the decisions we've made. And then it's reclaiming our passions in life. Because a lot of uh, women spend their lives in caregiving roles, be it for husbands and families and parents and the community at large, and along the way uh, suddenly find themselves looking at maybe an empty nest the kids have left, and they go, well, what am I going to, what am I going to do? Who was I? What, what am I going to be now? And so reclaiming the passion, reclaiming the purpose that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put us here, and we all have a unique one, and this yeah. is the amazing reality of our existence. Yeah. So the program is aimed at getting women to support themselves into changing their thinking so that they can feel content and at peace in their life and excited. Mm. And why is that important? One thing that is uh, really key to feeling content and at peace in your life is that if you feeling peaceful and you're feeling content then you can mm. actually be grateful yeah. and that's what it tells us if we if the more you 
look at in life that you are grateful, then the more he will give us to be grateful for. And then if we are feeling content and we're feeling at peace and we're feeling grateful, then we can be of more use to those around us who might still be needing us. Yeah. I love your quote, life begins at 40. I didn't coin that one. It is actually a very, I should Google and figure out who actually came up with that, but it's a yeah. very um, common phrase, life begins at 40. Yeah. Um, some now are saying 50, so yeah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'm going to throw out you some words. I want to know what's your take on them. You mentioned them, self-love, resilience, mindset, so and forgiveness mm -hmm. also came out. So let's go one word at a time. What yes, does self-love mean to you? Ah, yes. Well, self-love to me is living out the Irahim, and this is my lack of Arabic and inability as a convert. <laughs> you know what I, it sounds right in my head. Um, but the qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are of infinite mercy and infinite compassion and love. He tells us how we're meant to treat ourselves mm. by his qualities. And so if we don't treat ourselves with love and compassion, then we can't go out into the world and treat others yeah. with the love and compassion that he asks us. Mm. So a lot of Muslims do get a little bit um, caught up in um, and with the misconception that when we talk about self-love, they unfortunately maybe think that, that it means being um, selfish or arrogant. And it's not. It's just simply showing ourselves mercy because we are imperfect human beings. We will make mistakes and yeah. we have. And yeah. it's just simply giving us that mercy that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he gives us. Yeah. yeah. And I have, I have heard if you don't love yourself, it's hard to love others. Mm. And, uh, and also, amazing quote that came up about, or actually someone shared on Facebook group about um, mm. what self-love means to them. And they quoted ayah from the Quran where Allah says he created the soul our souls. So loving your soul, loving yourself is loving the creation of Allah. You are the creation of Allah. So it goes back to loving Allah in a sense. Oh, absolutely. Which, which is beautiful. Absolutely. It's to me, it's the highest form of gratitude that we can have. We are unique. There is not one other being in this world that is like us. Yeah. We become unique with our gifts that he has given. And if we don't cherish them, then yeah. we're not actually cherishing the gift that he's given. Absolutely. What about mindset? So the mindset is referring to the way we think. The way we think, yeah. The lens that we see the world through. And everyone, everyone's experience is different. You may we may have a cup that's in between us uh, or a glass. Now, your story in your head about what that glass is it's going to be different to mine because you're going to maybe have different experiences around the thing we call glass. Unfortunately, maybe someone might have had a glass thrown at them and so they have fear around this object. Mm. Whereas for someone else, their experience of that, that same object could be of parties and enjoyable things. And so the mindset is, is the, the frame in which we as individuals uh, define the reality that we share. And so looking internally at the story we have about the experience where we were going through, 
that's the thing we can change. Mm. And so hence the term mind, mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. We don't say that too quickly. And last one is forgiveness. Do you still believe giving out 72 excuses? Or what's your take on forgiveness now? Ah, yes. Forgiveness was an interesting one. That was probably the hardest one to work on. Um, and funnily enough, it was harder to forgive myself for my poor decision-making uh, than even possibly it was to forgive my ex and his violent behaviour. Yes, it's an interesting one. What is beautiful about forgiveness and about uh, what our prophet and other subhanahu tells us is that it's, it's one thing to forgive, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to trust. So if someone, if someone has uh, lied to you, been dishonest to you, caused uh, you harm, the forgiveness side, to me, what it represents, uh, at least for the other, is, is being able to let go of the hurt, let go of holding on to anger and all that kind of uh, negative emotion uh, or difficult. I don't necessarily want to say negative, but more, more that it just it becomes heavy uh, and heavy on our souls. Uh, it's a lot easier to let go of that and wish the person well. So I can honestly say that if I summon up my ex in my head, I'm no longer sending curses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all the angels at his feet anymore. Mm. <laughs> I did used to, I don't anymore. Mm. And, but I actually, yeah, he, to me now, he's just another human being that's in the world. And just like any human being, I, I wish, you know, I wish them well. Uh, and that's it, you know. So that to me is the, the extent of forgiveness is that I wish him well. And mm. I don't, but I don't have to, Uh, make contact I don't have to talk to them I don't have to keep uh, some level of engagement and no I probably would not trust that person ever again because mm. I've learned not to mm. um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't say that forgiveness means reconciling and going to business as usual so alhamdulillah we can separate the two yeah. and so back to the 72 excuses no No, I'm actually quite realistic now. <laughs> you get one, you get one chance. Okay. Only one chance. <laughs> one chance. Yeah, yeah. mashallah, mashallah. I want to finish off by asking you some personal questions. God, hasn't this been personal enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to take you back in time one, one more time, and uh, uh-huh. let's say you meet a person sitting in the park and that person is younger than you mm. and you end up sitting next to him and having a chat and you heard her story of uh, coming back to Australia from after disappointing marriage and and mm. after having that conversation you are leaving and you're gonna leave her with one piece of advice what that advice would be ah oh, the young you yeah back to the self-love Because I, I, I honestly can see, certainly in my, from, from, from my journey, I can see that every time that I was, allow, uh, I was flexible with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commands of how I was to be treated and so therefore allowed someone else to be flexible with them, uh, it, it was all actually rooted around self-worth and self-love, the lack thereof. So what I would tell that young 
woman is I tell her to let go of any of the comparisons in her head, the false comparisons to other people and to other situations. And I tell her to look gratefully within herself at all the things and all the gifts and the talents. And I'd also tell her to give herself the love that she was wanting rather than look out for validation from other people. Mm. Yeah. You know, so a lot of women have this problem and a lot of the times it is connected to, um, God bless my father. He's still alive. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, um, my relationship with him in this last year has improved complete 360. Alhamdulillah. But yeah, I, I, I say this to the men out there who are the fathers of daughters, particularly, uh, to validate them, mm. to emotionally validate them, to, to show, be present in their life. It's not enough to just put the food on the table and pay the bills. Mm. You've got to nurture them emotionally. You've got to make them feel that they know that there is one man in this world who, aside from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, knows that they are this shining, perfect being. And when, the, when a young girl is shown that by her father, then she steps out as a young woman and does not make the mistake of looking out for validation from men who are clearly incapable of validating. Hmm. And in truth, in fairness, it's not actually for them to validate. Hmm. But this is a big problem that a lot of women have and then they end up getting into very difficult relationship circumstances with men. Yeah. Beautiful advice and a good message to us men, fathers and yes. husbands yes. too. So much Allah. for sharing that and Allah for promoting that positive message. We need that in our community. Absolutely. And I, and I will end by saying I know that over the over the start of my um, getting uh, some uh, recognition of what I do uh, in the global sphere, some might have perceived me as being a man-hater. I don't actually hate men. <laughs> I want to say that for, for a clear fact. Not liking men is just not liking certain behaviours of some men mm. and particularly the, the disappointment as a convert, particularly in regards to the behavior of some Muslim men, because we're, we are sold on the, the, the normative framework of Islam, which is just so wonderful, and then have to face the reality of what's out there. And it can be very hard to handle. We expect more. Yes, as a convert, I, I guess in truth, we expect a lot more from our, our, our Muslim men than the non-Muslim men. And so when we see the Muslim men behaving pretty much as bad as the non-Muslims, mm. it's very hard to, to, to accept because we go, well, the non-Muslims, well, you can almost understand it. They don't, they don't have the example. Mm. Yeah. yeah, perhaps this is the right way of going or approaching the issue by demanding more from, from Muslim men. And this is actually yes. when... In, my own personal development journey, the common theme is I demand more about myself. And that's mm. the way Islam teaches us. Islam is all about improving and getting better every day, one day at a time, as a husband, as a man, as a woman. So we should, we should, all, we should step up and demand more about self. Absolutely. And this is where 
the, the coaching and, and other forms of secular uh, way, secular therapies and, and that come in, we have our faith yeah. uh, and, and the religious uh, side, but the, the, the need to maybe reach out for counselling or coaching is important because sometimes the, the imam is not equipped to handle the day-to-day -day living and give you uh, some help and assistance to support yourself in that. So this is why coaching is important. Yeah. And speaking about coaching, what is the impact that you want to leave behind with your coaching, with your work, with your positive message? Um, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Yeah, that's an interesting one with the legacy. I, I'd love to know that I've left behind some, some information that is going to be helpful to women that uh, helps them to love themselves and uh, have gratitude for themselves and be able to uh, go forth and raise children and with, with healthy men uh, and raise sons to be healthy men and raise daughters to be healthy daughters, mentally healthy, emotionally and spiritually healthy. Mm. Inshallah, it's just a drop in the ocean of the good work that's out there. So, you know, that, that, that's my main hope, I guess. MashaAllah, may Allah bless it. Thank you, thank you. I want to finish off by asking you to leave us with a book recommendation. You know, the audience, they love to read. So what is the yes. one book that you could recommend about self-care, self-love, positive mindset? Wow, yes, well, there's so many. But um, the one that uh, has been the cornerstone for me and my, the coaching modality that I'm doing now would be uh, a book called Second Chance. You can get it on um, Kindle, if you wish, mm. and it's Second Chance by uh, Sidney Banks. And so I mentioned him earlier. He's yeah. a philosopher that coined the, the, the paradigm called Inside Out Paradigm, which pretty much is discussed throughout um, long, long before his coining of that term, the notion of our thoughts our feelings coming from our thoughts, this, this notion, this seed is, is found in all the faith traditions and many philosophical traditions. Uh, so his book is very accessible and uh, an enjoyable read. And then uh, he's got a number of other books as well. You can grab them on Kindle. So that would be my suggestion to read that. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, what is the best way of getting in touch with you or learning more about your six-week program? Well, uh, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is through my Facebook coaching profile. And when we publish this, there'll be a little link for uh, clicking on to join the group to uh, Inshallah as well. So you can book in the, the, the program. Uh, the program starts on July 13th. Inshallah. Saturday, Australian Eastern Standard Time for six weekly sessions. Inshallah. Inshallah. And this is only for women, right? I know. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Only for women. <laughs> Mashallah. But I know that there's a, a many good chaps out there like yourself. So I'm sure the men are catered for. 
<laughs> so that's what I say uh, when I started my coaching business. I said, you know, there's so many sisters coaching sisters. So where are the brothers coaching brothers? Exactly. I, <laughs> I, I believe sisters are more catered well than brothers. But uh, again, sisters tend to be more active and they, think they invest on their learning and they want to grow more. And the brothers, I guess, I don't know. It's a different story. I don't want to go into it. It's another discussion. No, I know. <laughs> Great to see that there are chaps like yourself that are out there and, and, and doing it. Alhamdulillah, may it increase. I mean, I mean, and may Allah bless you and bless your work. I absolutely enjoy talking to you, hearing your story, such an inspirational story.